0: welcome 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 this is the distraction pieces podcast episode 425 and it's a bonus episode on friday strong language warning off the bat that's needed immediately it's a really good conversation and it's just you know you might find it a surprisingly grown-up conversation it's worth mentioning that we recorded this about three weeks ago so when we talk about boris and that lot the anger expressed is pre all of them the most recent stuff of the last week or two but yeah this week's guest is comedian and musician cunt in the gang and you may be f- familiar with cunts other band the cunts i said strong language warning there's going to be a lot of this um because they got to number five in the charts last year at christmas with boris johnson is a fucking cunt Um, I couldn't be clearer on the strong language warning. And they're back this year with Boris Johnson still a fucking cunt Um, for obvious reasons. And I think this last week or two couldn't have been a better promotional campaign for the song and for the band, um, largely due to the actions of Boris and his pals. Yeah, I wonder if last year's song was on on their Downing Street Party playlist. Who knows? Who knows? Obviously, with Christmas coming, you can support the podcast and me and all these things. If you've enjoyed the podcast over the year, basically, head to speechdevelopmentrecords.com and buy some some lovely merch. We've still got some copies of the Distraction Pieces book, which was a, a Times bestseller. So it's worth going and having a look there. We've got the 10-year anniversary Distraction Pieces vinyl of the album Distraction Pieces. A great gift for anyone who's a fan of of me and my music and there's just loads of winter wares. there's hats there's scarves there's the best gloves ever made all sorts of good stuff so head over to speech and support the podcast the label and my bearded little face but the big support is going to be for the cunts and their new single boris johnson is still or boris johnson's still a fucking cunt and you'll hear all about that now as I talk to Cunt and the Gang on episode four hundred and twenty-five of the Distraction Pieces podcast. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the income to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I'm joined today by Cunt of Cunt and the Gang, of the Acceptable in the 80s podcast, author of I Cunt, and most recently, Frontman of the Cunts. Now, for anyone that's confused by any of that, I'll explain a lot of it in a bit, but to start things off, how are you, mate? Are you well? Yeah, I'm alright, thanks, yeah. Just trundling along, like everyone else. Trundling along as ever? Yeah. I love it. um, I want to go all the way back to like early days and and go through everything. A lot of people on the pod who listen to the podcast will know of Stu Whiffin, who you grew up with. But I want to start with some more recent stuff because around this time last year, you became um, a chart botherer.
1: I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I didn't want to go through the whole narrative of Stu Whiffin being my more
0: famous mate. <laughs> Get straight to the bit where you're the a superstar. So. This time last year you released Boris Johnson is a fucking cunt largely yeah. because Boris Johnson is is a fucking cunt. Yeah. And you got in the charts and everything and you almost got Christmas number 1. You came very close. Yeah, I mean tell me about it all.
1: It it was a, it was a weird thing because we just sort of we Remotely recorded the the song me and me me punk band the cunts so it's sort of four of us you know the standard lineup me me on vocals uh carso on guitar and a uh, bass player uh, and and a drummer yeah and uh yeah we recorded um we recorded the album just before lockdown and uh then Boris Johnson is a fucking cunt was a song that kind of got tagged onto the album just after lockdown. Uh, lockdown happened, but that was the one off the album that we recorded remotely. But, it, yeah. you know, it, it don't sort of sound any different to the others, really, because we're such basic basic elements just kind of mixed in with the others. And then um had the album up on Spotify, and then, yeah, one day at the end of September last year, uh, Ginger from the Wild Arts just tweeted a link to the song on Spotify uh, with Christmas number one, question mark. And uh, someone, someone kind of flagged it up for me. I'm like, oh, fucking hell. I don't thought of that, you know. But it's just it's one of them things that you just think I oh, just thought nothing of it, and then yeah. Mortar, who uh, did the Rage Against the Machine campaign back in two thousand and nine, yeah, uh, I've, I've sort of got, got to know him being a fellow Essex lad, yeah, and uh, so sort I of had, had a conversation with him, uh, and and he sort of you know sort of said, well, well, why not? Uh, and then by by the end of October, Charlie Brooker had uh, tweeted a link to it.
0: That's the one that I instantly screenshotted and sent to Whiffin. I was like. Charlie Brooker's on board now. This is this is big.
1: It, it was so so fucking. But you know, it was just kind of it was all sort of pie in the sky. But then the NME reported because Charlie Brooker's is such a big deal. The NME reported that he tweeted about it, yeah. and then um, yeah, and then things just started to snowball from there. And we got a little campaign together because I'm I'm a sort of veteran chart campaigner from um, you know sort of ten ten or so years ago. I had a couple of goes at it with a couple of my cunt and the gang songs. Yeah. And we got to number number 66 with uh, Use My Arse I Was A Cunt in 2010. A classic. And then well, I just thought that, that the whole reason I did that was just, you know, just want to see what happens if a song called Use, Use My Arse I Was A Cunt gets into the top 40. What's Reggie Yates going to say?
0: Yeah, yeah. Because it's not like Killing In The Name Of where they can say, we're going to fade out early. Yeah, <laughs> Boris Johnson is a, fu- a fucking cunt. By the cunts, they can't introduce the song in any way, shape or form. So no. So what happens? That
1: that that was that was the thing. Is once it kind of you know, once it kind of got around and it, yeah yeah, it sort of snow snowball from there. And then um, eventually in the in the week of the the week of the charts because I've, I've got a quite a a small but sort of solid fan base they all just went out and and sort of bought it in that first couple of days and it kind of got up into the Amazon charts and then started rising in the iTunes charts and then all the press sort of had to report it. No one really obviously wanted to. Everyone wanted to ignore it and pretend it weren't happening because the media is so kind of heavily biased to the right wing and and also I think with the fucking bleakness of lockdowns, people were just looking for a feel-good story, you know, and you've got that bloke with his fucking sausage rolls doing the song for the food banks and it was all... It was a nice narrative because it had been such a fucking miserable year, but I think in the same respect, that's what sort of worked in our favor because people had had such a fucking miserable time of it, and then the fucking dishevelled cancelled Christmas with three days to go, despite promising everyone
0: that it weren't he weren't gonna you must have been rubbing your hands together when he did that right because it's like you're playing into my narrative here, this is surely we're going to get a bump. The,
1: the thing is, is you don't want to be that person that's rejoicing through everyone else's misery.
0: But, you know, a part
1: of an, me was going... An arms
0: dealer, where you go, <laughs> oh, it's kicked off in Iraq again, but that is going to improve my my, my uh, yeah, bottom line. It's, it's good for the bottom line. <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, I mean, you couldn't have got someone to do a better PR job that, than him, just like right on fucking cue, you know. And, and that was the thing that just sent it, because it, it, it placed at um, 19 in the midweeks, Then he cancelled Christmas, and then finally ended up at number five. Mm. I mean, we was like, we were never going to beat the sausage roll song because you know they fucking wheeled out Ronan Keat in midweek, and it's
0: it's kind of beautiful because those two things did tell the two stories of the lockdown. There's the goodwill, and there's the fucking hell. These, (laughs) this government is a bunch of cunts. Is that is that it did? It is perfect for those two. But um, I've always. There's something I've always been impressed with from Simon Cow, and it's the business side of the fact that we've, Britain's Got Talent and stuff like that. I think it's a bit of genius marketing because everyone who loves it, certainly at its peak, everyone who loves it will be online when it's on tweeting about how much they love it, and everyone who hates it will be tweeting about how much they hate it. And I think that's a bit of genius, and I think that's the genius of Boris Johnson is a fucking cunt by the cunts is as soon as it started to get in the charts and had to be seen, had to be noticed, had to be reported on, you've got the type of people who will see that and go, oh, I love a bit of this. I don't even care what it sounds like. I want to support this. And you'll get the people who are going, this should be banned. This shouldn't be allowed. And that will just spread the reach more and more and more. So I don't want to over-intellectualise the... The wonder, But I think it is really clever. It's a really good way of doing things. It's like, right, well, let's get everyone talking about it, regardless of whether you're supporting or attacking.
1: That's completely true what you say. I mean, and, and I've, I've sort of, you know, found this out through doing Cunt the Gang, is the haters are great for business. Yeah. Because they sort of reinvigorate everyone that supports it. You know, it's like it becomes like that siege mentality. Yeah. You know, and, and this time around, you know, once the mail started reporting on it and the gammon got on the message boards, you know, and... The the weird the weird juxtaposition of things was it was a lot of the free speech brigade were trying to get it shut down yeah and you can't have it both ways you know mm-hmm. like it's it's a strange you know but yeah yeah that's just how it how it is but you know it, like you say it's it's great that people were talking about and and it was that that just kind of got it out there because the problem you have doing anything independently is you're up against the fucking Ed Sheerans and the Justin Biebers with like mm-hmm. you know the multi million pound record companies backing them. And so the hardest thing is to make sure everyone finds out about it. That's that's the hardest thing. You know, yeah. you can have the best idea in the world, but if people don't hear about it, and, you know, it was still like, you know, in the weeks after, the, you know, it, it charted, I still had people who were, you know, likers on my Facebook page, saying, oh, mate, I can't believe I missed all this. And because, you know, it's the matters, social media companies squash your fucking reach down, yeah. like, it's a, you know, you just think, oh, fuck, that's a real shame. Lots of people... Missed out on the whole ride because you know I've I've been doing I've been doing Cant and the Gang for nearly twenty years you know and that was the single maddest week of my entire life you know and there's been some quite crazy things happening in that time but what a, what a fucking mad week
0: oh, oh I, I do want to talk about all of it because again I've I've been w- w- witnessing Cunt and the Gang from the early days and I do think there's some sometimes overlooked genius in it all because on the surface there's obviously the crassness and the shock and the offensiveness but I think you've done some of the best things marketing wise and some of the best videos and approaches so so we'll get into all of that but how was it on that Christmas chart day when they're announcing what's going on and where it all lands because you will have been keeping an eye all the way along but you have to keep an eye on Amazon charts, iTunes charts, all these Different areas, right
1: yeah, I mean, like the Amazon chart was the one that kind of kicked it all off because um you don't have to sell as many to kind of place high in the amazon right. chart, yeah yeah yeah, but but at one point, I think we had like because i sort of done multiple versions of the song, you know because all they all get ad- they all get added together for the final yeah. chart, yeah um I think we had like it was like five births in the top seven. Uh, yeah. uh, out of the Amazon chart. You know, yeah, it's yeah. just really fucking satisfying to screenshot that. And it just <laughs> yeah. said Boris Johnson is a fucking cunt seven times on this little fucking screenshot, yeah. you know. Yeah. You know, interspersed with Ronan Keating holding a pair of sausage rolls over the side of his head. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And then, um,
1: yeah, and then it sort of, you know, climbed up the iTunes chart. But it was like that final day when they kind of done the chart countdown, I was, I was listening to it and just thinking – I feel like we've, you know, we've we've definitely got a top twenty, but I don't know where it's going to be. Mm. I, I mean, I, I was sort of pretty convinced it weren't going to be Christmas number one, but I had I had a bit of insider info that it could it could have climbed, you know, um, up next to the next to the number one. Yeah. But the, I mean, the Christmas streaming is so relentless of your Mariah Carey's and and your Last Christmases and stuff. To, yeah. You know, like I, I sort of look back at the top forty the other day, being you know being a sad cunt I am that hasn't achieved anything else in that year. Um, <laughs> but I, I was looking back at that top forty, and it's almost exclusively Christmas songs. Yeah, you know, so it was quite an achievement. But on the day, I remember feeling a weird sort of sense of anticlimax. You know, but that only lasted, you know, for a couple of hours, and then you just go like, fucking hell, you know, top we five, got in, we got in the fucking top ten, like,
0: yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's mad. I I think what was really good, because again, I was watching the campaign carefully, I was tweeting along and all, obviously, but what was good was you were keeping the pressure on because one of the things I know from my music career is music that's not pop will often have a good first half of the week and and in the midweek charts, you'll look really strong because fans of music want to buy stuff on release, whereas the pop stuff will just... It'll often get a bump towards the weekend because, as bizarre as it sounds, because it's all on sale in Tesco's and ASDA and stuff like that. So people doing the the the, the, the weekly sh- shop are picking it all up. So the fact that you kind of focused you, your fan base and got them um, streaming it on loop on Spotify or on Apple Music or whatever else, and really kind of went, "Look, let's sustain this. Let's sustain yes. this push." It was it was beautifully done. But but
1: um, I mean that was sort of out of necessity more than anything because you know like I said because of who you're up against yeah. you have to do all the fucking dirty tricks and cheats you know and yeah like of course much against popular opinion I don't feel of myself feel like feel like I'm a person that enjoys promoting things do you know what I mean like yeah. I, I went for, I went for nearly ten years of you know after after um I did a big promotion thing at the Edinburgh Fringe in two thousand eleven. I went for nearly ten years of not promoting anything, you know, outside my sort of email emailing list and, and my social media, just because you sort of feel like you're whoring yourself out, and you yeah. can't you can't do that all the time. That's why, like these these chart pushes, I couldn't do them all the time because you haven't got the record company and that support infrastructure around you. You have to front it the whole time. Yeah. So I felt like fucking Bob Geldof, you know, on YouTube, going, <laughs> "Please buy the single, please buy the single," you know, but you have you have to do it and it feels a little bit fucking soulless and you have to kind of find creative ways to keep people interested and, and keep everyone fired up. But, you know, with the kind of negative comments that started coming in, that sort of looked after, looked after itself, you know, and people kind of doubled down. And because of the efforts of, you know, the, the, the sort of fan base that was supporting us in the first instance, that helped it kind of grow out beyond, beyond my normal reach. And once it kind of got out into the wider public, that's what kicked it on in the in the second half of the week.
0: How were the negative comments? Because Cunt and the Gang has all it's always been about again that 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 pushing it about as far as it will go, and you're going to get some backlash. But this was on a, a a new level, right? Because of the exposure, because of being in the charts. Yeah. Did any of the of the negative stuff get to you or make you question anything? Or was it all, or this is all good, all good for business? Do do you know what this, like this time there wasn't
1: anything. I mean, like people make personal comments about your appearance and stuff. And you just think like, it's just, it's just a bit horrible, you know? And yeah, I think you can have the thickest skin in the world, but when people say horrible things about you as a human being, it is fucking horrible. Yeah. But, but then, you know, if you put, if you put yourself out there, then, He's part of it, and you have to just, you know, be be tough about it and just go, well, fuck you, you know, like because the thing is, is for every negative comment, there's a hundred people that like it, you know, yeah, and yeah, yeah, but but it's always like, you know, you look on fucking TripAdvisor, it's always the negative negative reviews that fucking stand out like a sore thumb, is it? And it's yeah. like that the people that hate something shout louder than the people that love a lot of the time. Yeah, hundred percent. And and you know that that's something that's a bit fucking depressing, but I don't. I don't think it's going to change. I mean, like, like, like you sort of said, you know, in, in lockdown, I sort of felt, you know, when, when we first locked down, there was a real positivity, and we're all in this together, and it lasted about a week, and then there's like, you know, I saw some cunt with his boot full of toilet paper, and you're just like, yeah, no, we're all in it for ourselves again, like we're all stamping on each other's heads to get away from the zombies, yeah. it's, you know, it, that that fucking peace
0: and love it it was a very short window of time you know 100% and all the and and uh, you know i i'm probably just imagining it but it really it felt like all the people that that, that had spent the rest of the year saying why are they crossing the ch- the, crossing the channel and coming here it can't be that bad they need to get get control of themselves it's like mate you're filling your boot with toilet roll in, in case you can't have a shit and and again i still maintain and this plays to some of your back catalogue, but I still maintain the toilet roll shortage had nothing to do with toilets. It had to do with the fact that millions and millions of men were going to be at home every day now. Yeah. So it was purely masturbation-based. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the glaringly obvious answer that no one uh, seemed to spot was there. So it went well last year, and kind of depressingly, Boris Johnson is still... Being a bit of a cunt. I mean, as as, as we've recalled this, we're recording this end of November, it'll be, it'll be coming our week of release of the uh, of the new single. As we record this, he's just done a press conference, an important one, a COVID one, where he lost where he was, forgot what he was meant to be saying, and started talking about how we should all, all go to Peppa Pigland, because it's a really nice place with no trouble on the streets and things absolute nonsense so what what the theme park yeah it's gonna turn out the theme park of donated some money to the to the (laughs) conservative party that's what it's gonna be so 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 boris johnson is still a fucking cunt is is the next is the next i mean like iteration right it feels it
1: feels a little bit fucking depressing that we have to go back and do it again but you know and and don't get me wrong I've, I, you know, I've thought long and hard about whether people are going to be interested enough to do it again. But do, do you know what? He's just no less of a cunt than last year. And I think, you know, there's, there's been the like, the lies and fucking sleaze and corruption, and and also just all the things that he's tried to turn a blind eye to, like, you know, to to, to Cummings and Hancock and Patel and their their bullying and fucking lying and double standards mm-hmm. and generic, you know. Um, and his dodgy fucking business dealings. Like all oh, that's all happened on his watch. And every time he said, They've apologized to me, and I think we need to move on. Yeah. And he, he had this fucking magic wand for a while where he could just kind of like wave his sleeve and everyone just moved on. And I'm like, but I don't want to move on. I want you to explain why that's happened on your watch. And I want that person fucking gone. Because it's corruption. And yeah, like that's that's why I'm back here this year, a year later, because <laughs> this is the most overtly fucking corrupt government in my lifetime. Yeah. And, and, and he's, he's, the, he's the head of it. And, you know, and, and it, it rots from the top down. And and he's he's so fucking rotten, you know. And also, he's a big fucking tree. And you don't fell it with one little swing of a chopper, do you? You have to keep chopping and chopping and chopping. So that's why I'm back. And I know, like, you know, I've sort of had some comments on Facebook. Well, you're not still doing that. But I think the people that are actually saying that, they're They're obviously fucking voting for him or they're yeah. embarrassed about voting for brexit or or whatever, because anyone is still fucking supporting him and not complaining about him when you know when they've tried to take away our fucking freedom to protest and mm-hmm. and they've tried to change the rules for when they're caught being corrupt, like the yeah. whole fucking thing is so rotten and stinks why why wouldn't you try and get rid of him? you know because no one could do a fucking worse job than he's done. You know, so when I was doing the sorry, I fucking you sent me off on one. No good. Go ahead, go ahead. But but you know, when when um um when when I did the first one, I still had people commenting. You know, like you know, as as the song's fucking rising up the charts. Well, it could have been worse. We could have had Jeremy Corbyn in charge. And you know, you think, well, we've got the fucking worst cap worst per capita death rate in Europe, like the fourth worst in the world. You know, like could it be any worse if Jeremy Corbyn was in charge?
0: That's the thing that gets me. Is for every every shit, shit thing the Tories have done in the past, there's always an argument, well, it was a tough situation, you know, Labour probably wouldn't have done any better, no one could have done any better. And this is the one situation where they can't argue that because it's a global thing. So we can look around the world and go, oh no, loads of countries did do better and can do better. So it's not a case of, yeah, but, but you know, no one... It could have done better it is what it is it's like no it isn't <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's it's not acceptable as you say our death rate has been through the roof with completely prioritized money over human lives um yeah and it's been an absolute sh- shambles And as you touched upon earlier the the fucking laziest thing of each scandal being well they've apologized and it's time for us to move on when I worked in HMV, I got to kind of ma- management level and I had this security guard and he was a bit sh- shit and I pulled him up on something and he came in and said, Pip, I put my hands up. It's my fault. I'm sorry. And I was like, all right, that's good. Then next time I pulled him up on something, he said, Pip, I put my hands up. It's my fault. I'm sorry. And I was like, you can't just keep saying like yes. <laughs> He did it three or four times in a row and then me and the manager had a chat we're like, Let's get him in. And he said, guys, I put my (laughs) hands up. It's my fault. She's like, nah, you can't have that. You're suspended or some kind of disciplinary. Because it becomes a go-to. Again, I like someone apologising or admitting it or saying, you know, they've apologised, all these kind of things. But that can't be just a a literal get out of jail free card. Some of the Hancock stuff. Is said to be prosecutable. numerous things the government have done are said to be prosecutable. All the sleaze stuff and the changing of the laws to get them off the hook coming, they're literally thinking it's a get out of jail, jail free card and it yeah. it ain't. That doesn't exist.
1: No, but I mean, like we you know, when the Covid deaths reached a hundred thousand, you know, he said, um, I accept full responsibility for it. And it's it's easy to say that. Yeah. But how are you accepting full responsibility? Because you know, you're, you're you're putting off this inquiry until you're fucking gone. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's not accepting full responsibility. What full responsibility is he's calling for the inquiry into how it all fucking went wrong? You know, with yeah. with the with the PPE and how the how the um how COVID got into the care homes. Like, we need to be doing that now because, you know, what what use is it when they're all fucking gone? Yeah. Like, I, I want to see Nuremberg. You know, yeah. with this bunch of cunts that have taken us through this and killed people. You know, I've got, I've got, you know, a friend who lost his mum as part of, you know, part of the fucking pandemic. And like, I just want to see fucking justice done for the people that have lost their loved ones. It's, uh, and it's, it's vile that they're all just fucking kicking a can
0: down the road and putting it off. Yeah. Bollocks. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So again, as you say, it is an interesting one because it's hard to know. I, w- I wonder what your views are on how this new version will do compared to the last version like like what are your hopes and expectations because it is tough it is it is just it's coming around again but as you say they've continued and he's been more of a cunt since then yeah (laughs) yeah in general so
1: in in terms of
0: expectations i just haven't got a
1: fucking clue yeah but you know I, i sort of I sort of didn't have any expectations last time. You know, it it started to feel good and it started to feel, you know, like something was happening. But at the very start of the week, I remember that first day, I thought, oh, do you know, I wish I hadn't bothered, you know, like because you sort of put so, – it, it was such a lot of work into kind of getting everything together. Like, I fucking hate admin. But when, you know, I'm sure as you know, when you run your own thing, yeah. like it's, it's 80% admin for, for being able to get to do that, you know, 10% fucking creative stuff. I don't know what 100%. you do the other 10% of the time, but it ain't 20%. Like, I'd like to be sat at my computer writing songs every day, but... Mate,
0: it's it's why I've stopped releasing things on my label, because it was just admin after admin, and I, I, I'd always get hit hit by something I'd forgotten. And because I was always just running the the label myself, if I'm either feeling I've, I've let down an artist because I've missed something and it's going to be a bit late or this or that, or I'm just getting a bill from mcps or or whoever else it is because i've pressed some vinyl and and they want some money for it and it's like fucking yeah yeah it's it's a lot of of the boring stuff but um it's a lot it's a lot of
1: sorting out you know um because on the surface things i know a lot of people think i look like a graceful swan but you know (laughs) under the river though
0: You know, that was most of the comments about your appearance. Was they saying, (laughs) "I mean, this song shit," but at least he's a he is a graceful swan. To be fair, (laughs) (laughs) well, um, I want to kind of rewind all the way back and get into everything because, genuinely, in my kind of late teens, early twenties, there wasn't a bigger local band than cunt and the gang and obviously you didn't remain a local act but i i remember so much excitement from from all my my friends but to go even further back were you part of serious problem because again i was really young when i was going to see serious problem and that's the band that stew Whiffen was in were you part of that originally and then started doing other stuff like what was the deal there me and sue
1: started it off yeah uh, and i I was in it for the first four gigs but it was shit when I was in it. Like, it was really, it was really shit. It was just like me me and Stu had written all these songs when we were sort of, you know, like fourteen or fifteen. And um when we I suppose we must have been like eighteen or nineteen and decided to get a band together and play these old songs, you know. And they were they were like really crummy, they weren't very funny. And the band we got together, like it was just a load of young young kids because we couldn't, you know, we couldn't get anyone our own age in it because it was such a <laughs> dire idea. It was just all these young kids who just picked up their instruments and were sort of in their first band. And so, you know, everything was out of time, but it was an inspiring, glorious racket. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it weren't going anywhere when, when I was in it and because there, there were 14 of us <sighs> and you imagine trying to make, trying man. to organize rehearsals with four people is a fucking nightmare. Like, but to get fourteen people in one place at any time, and um, there was about five people who didn't really do anything, but just like just wanted a microphone. But there weren't enough <laughs> microphones to <laughs> there weren't enough microphones to go around. So if me me or Stu left that microphone alone for a minute, you
0: know there'd be a crowd of people all die for it. Stu would always describe it as kind of the Beastie Boys, but more offensive. But it was the Bloodhound Gang before the Bloodhound Gang, essentially. It was. It was meant to be sh- shocking and offensive lyrics. Yeah. It was. Now
1: after after party music. after I went, I went along to see them like a few gigs later, and like suddenly they were really fucking good. And you know, you think, "Fuck, has that happened?" But um, yeah, that, that I mean, seven like, people you know, had
0: left. <laughs> <laughs> and you were left with a really big band. Still,
1: it's perfect. It must have been the others that left, yeah. um, dragging it down. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they they were they were really good. And and like the the chemistry was right as well as, as well because you had Stu holding everything together at the front, and and Jill just had a free reign to piss about and just just be a silly cunt. And like he he was quite mesmerising on stage. So I don't want to blow smoke at his ass too much. So I know he he listened, he listens to this. But um, yeah, they, they they were a great fucking band, and they had, you know they had um, DJ Destruction on the decks, and so yeah. they had so many different facets. It was like like fucking a rock rap crossover, and like a big like a big fucking sound with scratching and wild Wild guitars, and the, and just these really fucking offensive lyrics over the top. And if anyone in the crowd dissented, they would all just they'd just shout them down. Yeah. You know, and just, just like be really offensive about them and their mums and, and anything, you know. So anyone anyone that kind of dissented just got just got shouted shouted down. Yeah. And um it was quite it was quite a false, you know, and, and they kinda of, they got a big um, a big following, you know, and done battle won a local battle of the bands and stuff. And they'd always take like two buses of people wherever they went. Yeah. But but it, it was, you know, that the difference between what they was doing and when I kind of started up on my own was that would have been like early 90s so there was no internet Mm -hmm. and and you know what you had to do was you'd take your following in buses into london and hope that a record company person was there that you know there was no myspace or 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 sending mp3 demos or anything yeah and they they had a bit of record company interest with um was it gut who who did like the right said fred records and Space yeah that's right yeah and um but then you know just just Like, like, a lot always happens. Nothing really happened with it. And then people just fucking lost interest and went into other bands. And then it all just, all just fizzled out. But for
0: a couple of years, it was was glorious, you know. It really was. And uh, uh, did that kind of inspire you in the long term into what you did when you started to to perform as Cunt and the Gang? Like, how was that as a starting point?
1: I think, uh, I think ultimately, I've always done the same thing, you know, since, even, even since like, writing them early songs with Stu, yeah. they've just always been silly, you know, just silly fucking things that I like to write about, like little little my new life and and also the, the kind of things you might say to your mates down the pub that you wouldn't kind of mention in polite conversation. And that's that's what cunting again kind of sprung for, you know, like your your gentleman's washes and those those kind of little yep. little asides that you have in a in a pub that you wouldn't wouldn't mention in front of your nan.
0: Mate, they became part of the of, of the local vernacular. All all the gentlemen's wash stuff. The as you as you mentioned earlier, use my arse, I was as cunt, Were all just because they're incredibly off- offensive, which young boys in particular enjoy. But they were really well well written pop songs. They were just catchy as anything. So, so it would stick in your head so 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 clearly. That's
1: what I've always liked doing is just writing catchy pop songs, and I think because of the because of the nature of it, you know, where it was just kind of me with Casio style backing, yeah. you could get away with using them cheesy advert melodies, you know, that if you were in a proper band, you wouldn't touch them with a shitty stick because they're just too, you know, too saccharine. But you know, like those those like you know those sort of major major chord melodies coupled with the offensive lyrics just repeated over and over. Just yeah. they they get stuck in your head, and that that was the thing that was pleasing for me. Like within a couple of years of starting off, I had people saying to me, oh "God, I'll, I'll, you know, I was at a family funeral the other day and used my soul as a cunt. Just wouldn't go from my head, and I was sort of just sat there, you know, with my head in my hands while they buried Granddad. Oh,
0: mate. <laughs> Is that a euphemism? Um, <laughs> so so it 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 it, it didn't stay local though. You toured and. You mentioned the fringe earlier, and that run at the fringe where you made a load of of st- stickers that said c- "cunt" on them, and it became the the news story of the fringe that year because everyone who came to your gigs was putting them on everyone else's fr- fringe posters. And the, the,
1: the, the stickers didn't. The stickers were just. I might even have one here too. So. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, it didn't even say "cunt." It was a dick, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. That was it. It was just a crudely drawn cock.
0: Yeah, that's right. And
1: uh, and so people just stuck them over everyone else's posters.
0: Yeah, and the amount of comedians who poster is them stood there with their mouth open in some <laughs> in one in some, <laughs> some sh- sh- shape or form. That was it. It was just yeah, basic dick stickers that were then covering the whole of the of of the fringe.
1: I was sort of encouraging people to take a sticker. I said, take a sticker and go and stick it on a poster, you know, somewhere you feel it's appropriate. And what I didn't realise was that people were just taking big handfuls of them. I sort of presumed, like, 150 people in a night, they'll all take one, stick them around, but people were just taking big handfuls. So within two or three days, they were just fucking everywhere. And, I I mean, I didn't properly think it through because I didn't think along the lines of, Oh, people have paid hundreds of pounds in advertising for them poster sites. I just thought it'd be really funny to see someone with their mouth open and a cock in it. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah. people got really angry, like comedians. Like some some comedians, yeah, like had a real sense of humor bypass, but it, it was mostly like the big companies that put the put yeah. the shows on whose posters got defaced. Yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, they were really cheesed off about it. And yeah, I think I think it was been the the fringe runs for like three and a half weeks or something, but after after a week, Alex, who ran run the free festival, um, just called me up and said, Listen, mate, you're gonna have to stop giving out the cocks. Because uh, 'cause <laughs> he'd had the um the the people from fringe central just like, you know, saying that they'd, they'd had so many fucking phone calls about it, people giving them grief. Yeah. And then like one of the big promoters had threatened to sue
0: him and sue me and mate. Mate, put the cocks away. It's not worth it. <laughs> Back in
1: your trousers. My That's my, fa- my favorite thing was these two um, these two uh, guys from the Edinburgh Council um, Environmental Department turned up at my show one night before I went on uh, and made me sign this bit of paper to say I wasn't going to stick any any more sticks in. I said, oh, it wasn't me sticking them anywhere." That's not done any of them. Yeah, and um, they've pulled out these photocopies of just where they'd found all these cocks, and one of them said, "Mate." I've spent the last 24 hours pulling off over 200 cocks.
0: <laughs> Good work if you can get it. We'll get back to work. Um, <laughs> it's it's funny because we inadvertently, me and Dan Lassac inadvertently, I, I think in some way subconsciously influenced by that, had a similar th- thing at the Camden Crawl because Camden Crawl was our first big thing we did after, after A Vash Always Kill came out. And our label had made a load of stickers, that said just a band on them and obviously the yeah. that part in that song is listing band names and saying just a band yeah we gave them all out of gigs and camden crawls a similar one there'll be band posters everywhere so every band name was covered over by just a band fantastic by the end of that night and it helped us massively it, it, it again exactly the same way it got people talking about it people yeah. who weren't at the more people knew about it than could have got into our two gigs at Camden yeah. Crawl, so it did more has more of an impact. But uh, 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 was it at the Fringe that Stuart Lee heard about you and became, you know, a supporter? It, he stuck was, up for I, you, I, right?
1: I, I think it was it was that year, like yeah. the furore around the Cox, uh, drove him drove <laughs> drove him along to see us. Yeah, and he, he yeah he came to see us at that venue, and and like yeah he came to see us one night. And I, I spotted him in the audience. i like, fucking hell, Stuart Lee's in the audience. And, uh, you know, because obviously he's God, isn't he, yeah, basically? 100%. And then he came back the next night with his missus just to check it was all right to like it, I presume. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, but but come up, you know, come up afterwards and just like had a, had a few words and was just really, really fucking nice and humble and, you know, just, just generally enthusiastic about it. And then he'd he'd kind of come back and you know see us other years at the fringe, you know, and I I sort of bumped into him a couple of times walking around and had a good chat with him. And he's he's a really he's a really fucking good egg. Yeah. But then I'll say that about anyone that likes my stuff, you know. (laughs) If Fred West was into it, I'd be like, see that
0: man's work is fantastic. He's all right. right. He's all right deep down. Well, speaking (laughs) of of Stuart Lee bringing his missus along to see if it was all right to like, I want to talk to you about. How the kinds of songs that you write age as you age, and the reason I'm I'm bringing this up is I was playing me and, me and my partner were going up up north a year or so ago. It was just after Acceptable in the Eighties had started, and I I popped an episode on, and we both I'm a big fan of the podcast. I think it's great. I I, I want to talk about that a bit as well, but I was like, oh, are you familiar with a, a, a cunt and a gang? And she's like, no. And not really. So I was like, oh, go on YouTube and we'll get some songs up. And these are, you know, a lot of them, at that point, you'd stopped for a while. So a lot of them I yeah. haven't heard in a long, old time. And it was 50-50 on the ones I was like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. And the ones I was going, oh, I don't remember it being that that way, or yeah. <laughs> that offensive or that horrible. It was a real mixture of my missus going well this is f- f- funny and go why are you making us listen to this so yeah and and, and whiffen has spoken numerous times about how th- th- there's certain s- serious problem songs that he never wants to <laughs> to see be reminded of, of. yeah to see the light of day to be reminded of so yeah i guess how do you f- feel about all of that because the point of them is at points to part of part of the humor is the shock so I'm not saying the point of them is the shock, but part of the humour is the shock and the oh we shouldn't be saying this in front of people. So yeah, how's that felt as you've got older and 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 and, and wiser? Well, do you, do you know what? I always like right from the very
1: start, I sort of made a conscious decision to just be flippantly offensive with it, yeah, and to try and ride it out by presenting it like a kids' TV presenter, you know, because when when you go and see serious problem, there was a lot of that. Yeah. Sort of finger pointing, but I made a conscious decision to not do it in a finger pointy way, to do it in a jazz hands yeah, kind yeah, of way. Yeah, I feel you, yeah. And and you got away with a lot more doing it like that because yeah. it was less less sort of threatening. But over over lockdown, I, I was sort of doing a doing a lockdown sort of online show that kind yeah. of called called Corona Club. And and I kind of went through and played pretty much my entire back catalogue throughout that. And you're right, there's there's some that have aged better than others, <laughs> yeah. and and I think I think some of that is to do with the world has changed, yeah, uh, changed a lot. And obviously, you know, I've grown as a person as well. And but but the idea behind Hunter Gang was to sorta of be an eternal fifteen-year-old boy. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? And yeah, 100%. like even when I was in my thirties, you know. I'm hugely fucking immature, and that's why, like, I never sort of lasted long in the world of work because I'm just a you know silly bastard that wants to muck around, muck around a lot. But I like that kind of that that sort of naive innocence of, what oh what I've just said that oh you know I hold my hands up I'm sorry you know like you said yeah. <laughs> hold my hands up I'm sorry and and then <laughs> let's all just move on. I'm I'm <laughs> yeah. basically fucking. Boris
0: Johnson uh, <laughs> set set to a Casio <laughs> backing track, a hundred percent. But it's the again, it's the beauty of it. I was I was watching, um, and you were saying you don't want to uh, blow sm- smoke up Mister Gell's ass, but I'm going to uh, blow some smoke up up yours now. I was I was watching the documentary recently, the the Frank Sidebottom uh, a documentary, and I could see so many parallels to what you do as cunt. Obviously, it's a far more offensive version. But it is, it's f- finding a character and kind of making an art of being this the, this weird character on stage. Yours happens to be incredibly offensive and part of the art is making us all feel comfortable to be in a room s- saying these things or singing along to these things that we shouldn't be singing yeah. along to and, and saying. And so how's that been? And, and have you ever f- found, oh, actually... Have you ever been writing something for example, that you've gone no, maybe not maybe <laughs> maybe that's too far, yeah, of course, yeah yeah uh, but but then, and still, how many of your friends did you tell that version but, oh, but it uh, never like,
1: made it onto the stage there's only there's only there's only three or four people that I tell the ones that don't make it out <laughs> um and, and I always like pat them down first to make sure there's no recording devices on. <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is once it's it's like it's like anything. Is is this is my reality, and I've become completely fucking desensitized to what's what's all right and what's not. But but you still kind of you know you you know and you make a moral judgment on things, and it doesn't stop you having ideas that are that side of the line. Yeah, you know, and 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 I'll still I'll record them into my phone because because it's an idea, so it's, it's valid, but. I, that doesn't mean that I want to tell everyone about it because some things you're just like, do you know what? It's just not worth the fucking grief. And yeah. and this is yeah. something that happens as you kind of get older. But still, like a few a few of those ideas that were just the other side of the line for me, I still ended up recording and putting on that final album because I didn't think I'd end up. I didn't think I'd <laughs> I'd ever be doing it again. Yeah. And yeah. but but you know, I, I listening back to that and listening back to you know the back catalogue as a whole there are some songs on there that I wouldn't play anymore just because the world's changed or, you know, for example, like I've got a song called young girl off of my, me, me second album, which was like, you know, 2006. Mm. And, and it was meant to be a play on that old song. Young girl, you know, young girl, get out of my yeah. mind. My love for you is way out of line, which when you look at the lyrics, fucking hell it's opera, It's operation you How they yeah. haven't been around Gary Puckett's house and picked him up. Yeah. But, but it's, it's sort of of the era and, My idea for this song, Young Girl, was, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing, but I've ended up back around her house and I've only just found out she's, you know, she's not 16 till next month. So I'm trying to do the right thing, but just putting the situation in people's mind of like, oh, but what would happen if I do that? But I wouldn't do it. But what would happen if I did that? But I wouldn't do it. But it was all all right when I was in my late 20s and early 30s to sing that song. Well, no, it weren't really, but... Now it'd be like you know, like it, when you look at the carry-on films. Now we're like Sid James, like ooh, yeah. over them sort of teenage girls. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that's. It was all
0: right in the seventies, but, but even with stuff like that, man, it's it's written as a clearly inappropriate joke. Yet yeah. you do look at like there was an amazing documentary recently that looked at some of the stuff Iggy Pop wrote about and did Stephen Tyler from Aerosmith literally get in legal custody of a 15 year old. He was involved with so that he could take her over borders on tour and stuff like that. And all ha- like having this in their autobiographies, in their songs. So I'm far more comfortable with someone writing something like that kind of to say, look how mental all this is. than the people who have done that, who are now just beloved and accepted as, as heroes and icons, and it's like, yeah. right, all right, how's how's that work? But I mean, speaking of b- beloved people, we're running out of time al- al- already, but we we still got a decent amount. Um, can you share your story of the the warm water that um, your your Amy Winehouse song got you in? Uh, <laughs> so,
1: so I, I did a did a tribute to Amy Winehouse because I, I sort of. Somewhere along the line, I became a hearse-chasing synth-pop tribute act. I think yeah. it was made like the Michael Jackson death, you know, because because he he's, he's, his life sort of ended in the last few years in such bizarre circumstances. And then, obviously, like, Amy Winehouse died quite shortly and tragically. So, you know, I liked Amy Winehouse's music, and I, I thought it might be a bit of a laugh to do a tribute that actually was meant to be fond but just making light of it a little bit. Yeah, Um, yeah. And I I clearly misjudged the mark somewhere along the line. And um, we turned it around fairly quickly and got it up. And like like all the kind of topical things, it flew on YouTube, you know, and the the hits kind of went up quite quickly. But um, I was doing a gig about six months later uh, down in this little um, bar opposite Highbury Tube Station, and I just sort of sat there having a beer before the gig and this bloke's sort of come up with sort of be- beanie hat on and tracksuit, this little guy, and just held this newspaper up that said, insult to my Amy on the front of it. And, uh, you know, I-, I just went to him. Yeah, very funny, mate. And he's just reached inside his tracksuit and he's pulled out a water pistol and pointed it at me. And so I'm uh, like, yeah, yeah, very funny, mate, nice one. And then he's just started squirting it and uh, – it's gone on me. And so I've just jumped up and sort of put my finger on the end of it. And he sort of like jumped back and just started squirting at me, going, It's my piss, it's my piss, it's my acrid piss. And so my, my, once I've heard that, I've just gone crack <laughs> and, and knocked him over and, um, sort of laid the, laid the boot in. And he's kind of got himself up and sort of scrambled himself out of the venue and just run past the door. So I've run up the stairs after him and like, uh, said to the doorman, What the, f- do you see where that bloke went? He went, No, he just like run past me, mate. And I went uh, he said, "I wonder what's going on, because he just sort of snuck in a minute ago. You know you think, yeah, cheers for that did then a he good went, job what's lads. going on I said, I've just been assassinated with peace <laughs> <laughs> but I sort, of, I, I sort of had the red uh, the red mist at this point, and I've gone back down the stairs, I was fucking furious, and um some bloke come up and went, "You're right, cunt." And I went no, not really, mate. I've just been assassinated with piss. He said, oh, "I wonder what was going on." I just heard you go, "He's a mentalist," and then deck him. But I had no memory of. Fa- I just obviously fucking got the red piss. <laughs> I had no memory of saying
0: that. <laughs> you went full partridge in your in your moment yeah. of madness. I love it. Well, I mean, a lot of this stuff came up in your in your book. I can't. And you touched earlier upon your f- 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 fan base. And it's one of the things I I loved about this was you decided to do a kind of a memoir and kind of tell the story. It was at the point, as you said, that you were like, "I'm not going to be doing any of these songs anymore." I want to kind of because uh, there's a lot of mad moments along the yeah, way, there's, right? Yeah, there's
1: a lot of mad. There's a lot of mad moments. I think that kind of comes from the fact where I never had, you know, I was never like looked after, you know, management wise or, or yeah. anything. So I turn up to the gigs and you. Basically, spent the whole night socialising with the crowd rather than locked away in the dressing room. So, you know, you got the full fucking brunt of it. Yeah, that ev- every every tour. And I think, ultimately, like that's part of the part of the thing that burnt me out with gigging was, you know, it's it's quite hard to be switched on for that amount of time yeah. for like hundred odd nights a year. You know, it, it just it just fucking you know, like I always feel like a bit of a wimp saying this because. It's not hard like a proper job, you know, like a pro, you know, proper physical job, like filling up yeah. gas bottles and fucking loading lorries and stuff. But m- mentally, it fucking f- it frazzles you. Like I completely do, understand, do, do, mate. Yeah, doing like six hours of banter a night for sort of fifty nights in a row, it really does fucking it frazzles you. But I it, don't think I, it, I really. Realised that while I was doing it, it was only when I kind of come come at the end of it, just it just wore me wore
0: me out. When I was touring a lot, my my, my missus at the time would get really annoyed that I wasn't up for going and hanging about at festivals. I was up for doing the festival and then leaving because of yeah. exactly that. Because it's like right, I'm not actually getting t- to relax at the festival because I've played there. There's going to be a yeah. certain amount of. Pe- I'm six foot four with a big beard, so I stand out anyway. There's going to be a certain amount of people who want me to be Scroobius Pip for them in that moment. So if we're spending a weekend at a festival, it's a weekend kind of a, of exhaustion. Because, as you say, and it, and it is a weird one, because I've worked in factories, I've worked in shops, I've worked in restaurants, all these kind of things, but it is mentally exhausting. And I think it's a weird one, because if you're working class in those situations, you feel g- guilty for being exhausted by it if you know what yeah. I mean because you are like well it's not a proper job but I fucking, I'm fucking I'm having a breakdown I remember on our US tour I wrote out a full letter of resignation and the guilt I felt because all my mates who was, they were they're working in and I'm sitting there thinking I'm living all of our dreams yeah. and I'm miserable because I'm exhausted and I can't handle it and I'm going to quit and it's it's a weird one man it's a weird a psychological pressure
1: yeah but but I mean it's 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 exactly that what you said is where like, you know, where you come from a working class background and you know how hard like, you know, how hard my dad had to work for his money. The idea that like, you know, I could turn down a gig that was offering 300 quid. Yeah. And, and that in the end burnt me out is is the fact that like, every time I tried to shorten the tours down and lose the couple of worst paying or, you know, or gigs where someone had assaulted me on stage and I hadn't been properly fucking looked after. Yeah. You know, you'd you'd sort the tour out. You'd announce the tour, and then like someone would go, "Oh, come back to Swindon." Everyone really misses you, and then you just end up fucking taking the gig because you feel, you know, because like there was lots of nice people come along to them gigs, and you are yeah. just like, oh, I
0: do feel mean leaving it out, and so. But in the end, it, it fucking it burn it burns you out. Um, I remember the year I did the fringe, I could only be there for nineteen days of the run, so I did a show every night. And the person who was booking it said, "Like you should have a night." Like a day off every week, and I was like, "You fucking kidding me? Every yeah. day's a, d- a d- day off. I'm doing an hour's work each night, mate. This ain't a proper job. Absolutely burnt me out. But because again, it's not. You are. You're getting in that z- z- zone. You're doing the beforehand stuff and the after stuff, and it is. It is exhausting. But what I wanted to say about I can't was you like you. You and me ch- chatted a little bit about it as you had the idea. And whether you should go to a publisher, and it's a weird thing with the gigs being called cunt and the gang. It really means you're not going to get too many people who are there not expecting what they get, if you know what I mean. Because it's yeah, it's, it's, it's 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 a name that people are going to go. All right, it's either going to put it's going to put the wrong people off easily, and hopefully draw the right people in. Do you know what that? that but that's what I thought. And then when you go to the Edinburgh Fringe.
1: It completely
0: turns it. The turns fringe it on is a different one because pe- everyone's an artist. <laughs> I,
1: I, had, I, I mean, at the Edinburgh Fringe, I saw people having the most miserable night of their entire fucking life in my show. Yeah, and and sometimes I gave them a get out, and other times I just let it go, you know, or, or other times I kind of confronted it. But then first couple of years, especially when you do the because where, where, I was doing free shows, sort of most of the time I was there. So you do you do the show, yeah. and then you do a bucket collection yeah, at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there weren't that investment of someone having to pay like 15 quid for a ticket or whatever. Yeah. And you'd end up with, with you know, like with some randoms in or someone that had dragged a mate along who, who just weren't into it. Weren't right. And you'd see people just sat there like with their arms crossed and their arms would get higher and higher and higher as the show went on. And so like it becomes quite demoralising in the end seeing someone having such a fucking terrible time. So I'd either rat them out or uh, like I started doing a warning at the start of the show saying like, you've got a free song Amnesty – uh, and if I still see you having a miserable fucking time after that, I'm going to single you out. Um, it's perfect. And so, like, after after the first song, you'd see a couple of people get out and walk, and people would go, Eah! and i will go, no, leave them alone. It's the amnesty. It's yeah. fine. Like, yeah. you know, it'd yeah. be
0: better without them. Well, well the kind of the, the, the opposite of the demoralising element, As I said, we were talking about whether it's best to try and get a publisher involved, which can be tough when you've got the name cunt, or if you if you go your own route, and I was kind of cautioning you on going the crowdfunding route, because again, crowdfunding blew up a good 10 years before that, but everyone then thought crowdfunding was always going to be, ah, oh, I'll put it out there, everyone will want it. A failed crowdfunding project is one of the most demoralising things in the world, because that's essentially saying, I'm not for the, the big business, but... The people w- want me, and then the people turn around again. N- no, we don't want you either. Coming, <laughs> but you did yours, and it was a fucking roaring success. And you met your target in no time and exceeded it. Like, how was that? And and was it expected? No, no, no. I
1: mean, I mean, completely unexpected. Because was it? T- I I I'd quit gigging two years before. Yeah, and uh, um, you know, I-, I sort of that that final tour. I was just going to, I weren't going to announce it as a final tour. I was just going to kind of bow out at the end of it and say, thanks very much, everyone. And uh, and with him being Mr. Business, went to me, are you fucking joking? Say it's a final tour. You'll sell loads of tickets. So, of course, I'm like, oh, God, right, fuck it. So, um, I did
0: that with mine. I told everyone it was the final tour and no one believed us. It went well, but then literally in the last eight years since that final tour, constantly people we were going, well, I didn't know it was your final final tour. Like, <laughs> it wasn't just a marketing thing. Whiffing was not involved. <laughs> this was legit. So, yeah, a couple
1: of years after that, I, you know, the, the, the dwindling pot of cash had, had fucking dwindled and I was back painting and decorating and tiling for for me mate uh, on, a, on a casual basis. And... um I'd sort of written the book in that time, you know. While while the while the cash dwindled, I I, I, I sort of you know went went hard went hard into writing the book and and got it near enough near enough finished, but I sort of didn't have a pot to piss in and wouldn't have been able to get any print copies done. And uh, I went and went and had, had a meeting with a publisher, and it just didn't really light didn't really light their fire. Yeah, and I, I can kind of see why because. It's an odd thing to market, you know. If you're if you're trying to advertise or promote something, especially like in the era where where podcast is king, you know, if if you had to bleep out every cunt tonight, there wouldn't be a lot left, would yeah, there? Yeah, exactly. Um. So um. So yeah. Went like I so say, went went down the, went down the crowdfunding route, just not not knowing what to expect. But I I did a bit of a a bit of a cheaty kind of heart wrenching video. Of me and me fucking painted gear when I just got home from work just saying, Look, if you want if you want the book, back the crowdfunder and uh yeah, and, and like we reached a target in the first twenty four hours. It just fucking it just went crazy. Like yeah. but I think that's because I'd been away for a couple of years and like absence makes the art grow fonder and like I'm still really happy with the book, you know, and there's there's a lot of doing the book was more about all them stories just not getting lost you know, lost into yeah. the ether because I'm the only one that remembers them all. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, like other people will remember different ones, but, you know, like a lot of them, they, they stop with me. So when I croak, all them stories disappear. But at least now they're written down because some of it would just be a real fucking shame if they just disappeared and, you know, were never heard again.
0: The, the thing that that's sold me on the book was Carol a whiffing That's saying how fucking hilarious it was. Cause I ain't gonna believe Stu. Stu's in it. He'll love it. He'll be all over it because <laughs> it's like, oh it's me in my heyday d- d- doing my <laughs> things. But Carol was like just cracking up and uh yeah. The funniest thing she's ever read. So I was like, Alright, alright, this sounds it sounds good then.
1: That that was weird for me as well, having Stuart's Mrs. Enthusiastic about me for a couple of weeks. It was (laughs) fantastic. It was like living in a twilight, you know, parallel
0: universe. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, to wrap things up, I want to talk a bit about Acceptable in the 80s because Stu, as anyone who listens to to this will know, comes up with a a lot of podcast ideas. He does a lot of podcasts and he'll often bounce the the idea of me and i'll you know it could be good it could be bad but when he came to me with this one i just thought it was gold so so basically you you two realized that you'd known each other for 40 years yeah you decided to meet up once a month and 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 yeah and go back 40 years and look at the your memories from then but also films music and tv yeah, that was on then, and it's kind of never ending because you're always going to be <laughs> it's 40 every month. You 40 can always go back 40 years catch up. Yeah, and it's perfect. I I, I really in, enjoy it. It's perfect for anyone around your age, around my age, because there's there is 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 the nostalgia here. I think people think that Stu's uselessness and forgetfulness is a running joke. I know it's not. I know that he genuinely. <laughs> doesn't know if you start with f- f- films every time or not um <laughs> but yeah how's it been doing that because as as you said there's probably been a reluctance or or i guess like has it been f- f- finding the right thing to do in the podcast kind of realm and just um, enjoy I'll, it with your mate
1: well do, do you know what like Stu Stu sort of said a few times about doing yeah i mean Stu was one of the first people that, that, well, probably the first person I heard used the word podcast because he was talking about it when Ricky Gervais yeah. was doing it and saying yeah. we should, you know, we should bring a mic down the pub and just like record us all having a beer. Yeah. And, and it took me kind of 20 years to get on board. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. It was just because we we were meeting up for a beer, you know, every couple of weeks or every month. and. I realised that our friendship was the last thing in Stu's life that he hasn't monetized. So <laughs> Yeah, so so we just yeah, it just it just seemed like you know, at that 40th anniversary just seemed like quite a natural thing to do. And we we just went into the first one with well, we'll just recalled us having a beer and talk talking about things that happened 40 years ago and like yeah. spin-off stories and stuff. And if it don't if it don't work then then that that's that. But like we both had, you know, it was just like it was sort of just like having a beer. It took us a couple of months to get into the rhythm rhythm of it. Yeah. But now it is just like meeting up for a beer. Mate, and you there was of...
0: an amazing episode where I swear neither of you remembered any of the films or any of the TV show or any music. So it was an hour of listing films and songs. <laughs> no, I've got no memories on that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I also thoroughly enjoy it's Stu that gets confused with it, but his confusion over whether it's best to take the charts from the beginning of the month the middle or the end and it makes no difference if you stick to the same one each time yeah <laughs> it's when you're taking from the end one month and then the beginning next month and Stu's like oh we've had these haven't we so like, yeah yeah of course you have I, I wasn't sure if he was doing that
1: for effect but uh, but no it is no it's, it's too Genuinely... it's too fucking consistent to be put
0: on the the other thing that that you know he'll on on all of his podcasts he'll, ring, he'll regularly at some point bring up how hairy i am and i'm quite hairy like like you can can look at my big hairy hands but <laughs> Stu is someone who gets his daughters to sh- shave his back for him on a regular basis so, why is he digging people out for being hairy? I don't know anyone hairier than Stu. It's outrageous. No, but it's because you're not there to, to defend your hairiness,
1: are you? You're not there to compare the hair. So, he's <laughs> exactly. just point scoring in your absence. He is. but so They are very hairy hands, though, they are are hairy hands, say.
0: aren't they? I thought I'd show you on. on do you know
1: phone. what? I've just read. I've just read. Stu lent me the book uh, about um, the making of American Werewolf in London. Yep, yep. So, I would say that would be, you know, like the sort of the
0: the second or third model that would be. Definitely would be. So, I mean, how's it been making the podcast? Because it is, as you say, in a way, it's adding structure to something that you were just doing socially. But I think at times that can be a good thing because you are doing a bit of research and you are turning up and going rather than turning up and talking about what you've all been up to the last month or so, or Stu putting on some miserable fucking records, um, you actually, yeah, you're getting to have, have a go and, and chat over films and TV and everything. He still fritzalises me with YouTube for three hours
1: after the podcast finished, so does. don't worry about that. <laughs> of course he does. But yeah, yeah it's, it's, just, it's, it's really like... It's not actually changed anything because we were sort of meeting up for a beer, yeah. like usually usually his bar anyway. So, it, it, yeah, it's it sort of just carried on how it is, except for now there's like half a dozen people on Twitter bothering me if we haven't had a beer before like the 8th of the month. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, it is incredibly inconsistent on when the release date is. It's like, I'll turn up. It's because he's recording 14 podcasts every week. It's, it's all to do with when he can squeeze us in. When he can squeeze us in. He's in another podcast. If he isn't recording a podcast, he's on fucking holiday in horrible parts of England.
1: Uh, I'm surprised he hasn't taken a Bluetooth headset and just records him while he's walking around with <laughs> his wife and kids you know, in St. Osif.
0: <laughs> it is likely. Well, I'll wrap things up as 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 we're nicely over the hour mark. There, um, Boris Johnson is still a fucking cunt. Will be available everywhere. All right. Is it yeah, uh, 17th yeah. for December? You yeah. you dropping it. Uh, that's the day that this podcast will be coming out, so I'll be be putting it out to to celebrate the launch, and I'll uh, oh, brilliant. Pu- pu- Thank pu- you. Pu- pu- push people into that that one week to buy and listen as much as they can. Yeah,
1: and I, I have to say, like today, I just got tweeted a sickening picture of Ed Sheeran and Elton John like in Christmas jumpers with a Christmas tree in the background, and you're just like, you know. I, I will just say to your listeners, if, if you want that as Christmas number one, then fucking good for you. But
0: fact, there is an alternative. Just do the alternative, please. There certainly is. And I've pushed Ed's appearance on the podcast to after Christmas. So there's, I'm giving you the unfair advantage here of the massive platform of the Distraction Pieces podcast. Thanks, Pete. Keeping it Essex and Real. It'll make all the difference. And, and where can people find you online? I should have mentioned it's... Every time that we've been spin saying cunt, I'll mention it in the intro, it's cunt with a K.
1: Yeah.
0: So we've not been saying anything offensive all no. of this time, really. I I like that we've we've left that until the end as a as a big reveal.
1: Those of you that are still there,
0: it wasn't offensive.
1: <laughs> it's like
0: the sixth sense. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, it was it was with a K all <laughs> along. But yeah, where can people find you on socials?
1: Um, You can find me, uh, my website's at katg.co.uk and I'm on Twitter and Facebook as Cunt and the Gang. But I urge you, above all this week, please go to uh, www.borisjohnson.info, and a plot (laughs) spoiler, the info is he's still a fucking cunt.
0: Yes, I love it. Well, thank you very much for coming and chatting, mate. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Pip. I really appreciate it, mate. Cheers.
1: We've been listening to Scroobius Pips Distraction Pieces.
0: There we go. That was episode 425 and that was Cunt. And I love the reveal there that you all thought we'd been swearing the whole podcast, but we were saying Cunt with a K. So it is truly the, the sixth sense of the podcast world. M. Knight. I can't think of a, a, a way to make that into my name, even though he's got a silly surname and I've got a silly first name. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you weren't too offended. I hope you go and buy Boris Johnson's Still a Fucking Cunt on Apple or Amazon and then stream it for days on Spotify and get behind the calls. I'll be back n- next week. Oh, is it Drunkcast time? I think it might be Drunk Cast time, guys. I'll be back next week with the end of year Drunk Cast, which I'm sure you can agree is very exciting. Until then, stay safe. And stay and enjoy all of I, I highly recommend i know we talked about it but acceptable in the 80s go and listen to that podcast it's good fun um yeah i'll see you next week until then stay safe and stay sane ta-ta